Hey, the peace of Christ be with you. Hey, we're, we're starting. To, that, that was the real deal right there. Well played. Well, I am excited to be with you this morning as we continue into the third week of our new series, Passing the Torch. Uh, for those of you who might be newly joining us, we've just finished chapter one in our journey through the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. If you're new to the Bible, the book of 2 Timothy is actually a letter. As you might have guessed, it's actually the second letter that was addressed from the Apostle Paul, an eyewitness of Jesus, to his young friend and ministry partner, Timothy. As Paul writes this letter, he is chained to a wall in probably an underground prison cell in Rome. Uh, He's awaiting execution under the authority of Emperor Nero for preaching the good news of Jesus. In fact, uh, his impending death uh, is certain. This would be his last letter that he writes before his execution. And with that in mind, this letter really serves as a last will and testament for Paul. And in its makeup, it is very pointed It's very personal, more so than any of his other letters, which are numerous. And so here's kind of the context. The same persecution that Paul was experiencing in Rome uh, is quickly making its way toward the large Roman province uh, in which Timothy was a pastor. It's the, the large, influential, cultured city of Ephesus in Asia Minor. And not only was persecution heading toward Pastor Timothy and his church members, but false teaching was was rising up and threatening the health of the church, uh, distorting the gospel, reporting that the resurrection of the dead had already happened and it was disrupting the faith of some Ephesian Christians. And so Paul writes this letter from within a prison cell as a way of discipling Timothy through this challenging season. We've been looking at that word discipling. He's been discipling him, helping him to love and follow Jesus through these afflictions, encouraging him to keep preaching biblical truth, to keep guarding against false teaching, to keep passing the torch of the gospel to others. And if you were here last week, you recall that in chapter 1, verses 8 through 18, Paul told Timothy not to be ashamed of this suffering, not to be afraid, in fact, of the disgrace that will come to all Christians in one form or another for believing and preaching the gospel. The gospel, of course, being the good news of forgiveness from sin, as well as the hope of new and everlasting life in Jesus Christ. And so last week's passage and Paul's words in last week's passage helped us to understand why we don't need to be afraid of suffering disgrace, of suffering persecution if it should come on behalf of the gospel. Because The same powerful gospel truth that saves us will also sustain us through our affliction. In fact, in our sufferings, God's power will be there with us and for us as we remember afresh Christ crucified and Christ 
resurrected on our behalf. And not only that, but God will use our sufferings to refine us into his holy likeness as sin is purged out, as self-dependence is purged out. We fall on our knees in need before Christ and his holiness infects us. And not only that, he will also use our sufferings to save others as, in fact, we demonstrate the power of the gospel by enduring grace for the, uh, enduring disgrace for the gospel. And what we're about to see today in short form is really an extension of last week's message. The same gospel that saved us in the past and sustains us for the future is the same gospel that strengthens us in the present. Right here, right now, in real time. And so my prayer this week and this morning as I drove over here from Worcester has been that each and every one of us in this room in Ashland, Ohio would see that God wants to strengthen you today. He wants to bolster you. He wants to encourage you and lift you up so that you and I, of course, can actually live out the Christian life he's called us to live, which is a life of loving and following and being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. It is a life of prioritizing others, discipling them, helping them to love and follow Jesus. It is a life of boldly and bravely sharing in difficulty and suffering when it comes our way. It is a life of passing the torch of this good news. We behold to the glory of God until he returns. And so let's read the words of Paul and the words of the Holy Spirit as Paul tries to bolster his young disciple in the faith. We're going to read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to go through verse 13. And may the Holy Spirit bolster us as we read. Let's read. You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of, of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we Deny him, 
he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Thank you for your word, Father God. I pray, Lord, for myself and each of us in this room that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take this text and implant it into our hearts for our benefit, for our joy, and for the glory of your Son, for the Godhead, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what Paul is essentially telling Timothy in today's passage, again, is a continuation of what he's been expressing throughout chapter one, namely, keep leading, keep teaching, keep helping others to love and follow Jesus. And Timothy, keep enduring through the afflictions that will come as a result of reflecting Jesus to a world who's trying to forget Jesus. Because, see, we not only suffer the effects of a broken world in disease and disaster and destruction, but Christians will also suffer the wrath of broken people who do not like to be reminded of their brokenness, which is precisely what our gospel message does to all of us. In verse 15 of last week, we read of Phygelus and Hermogenes abandoning Paul and with them many others in Asia because following Christ and passing his torch is a costly endeavor. It is not easy and it requires more strength than any of us have within ourselves. In fact, the work of ministry and the Christian life brings us to the end of ourselves, to the end of our own resources, which is precisely why Paul starts today's passage in verses 1 through 3 by exhorting Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then what you have heard and seen in me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men, and that word includes faithful women who will be able to teach others also, and then share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. See, in order for Timothy to accomplish verses 2 and 3, he needs the strength of Christ himself in verse 1. The kind of strength and the amount of strength that must come from God because Timothy's strength alone will not cut it. Years ago, I was at a church camp in Pennsylvania and I was listening to Ted Tripp who is the brother of theologian and author Paul David Tripp. I was listening to Ted Tripp teach on biblical marriage, and I'll never forget the profundity of this statement when he said, the kind of marriage God calls us to is impossible for us to achieve without his grace. Let me put it this way. The very thing God calls us to do is impossible for us to do on our own. The very life God calls us to live, impossible for us to actually live on our own. 
And this applies to marriage, uh, for the parents in the room, can I get a hallelujah with parenting, uh, discipling, sharing and suffering, fulfilling our calling, all of these things are impossible for us to do in our own strength, with our own resources. This is a built-in mercy of God, by the way. If we could do these things easy breezy, we would not need him. And therefore, this keeps us in a posture of dependence, and dependence is the posture of salvation. Paul knows this well. By God's gracious design, the very thing he's calling Timothy to do is impossible for Timothy to do on his own. How do you like that? Which is why Paul wrote verse 1. Before verses 2 and 3, he tells him, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus because, Timothy, in your own efforts, you're going to fizzle. You're going to fizzle in your efforts to disciple. You're going to fizzle in your efforts to endure suffering, you cannot do this in your own strength. And by God's grace, I hope that each of us sees this morning, neither can we. And yet, if you're like me, it seems that our default mode as fallen human beings who are being restored and saved by Jesus, our default mode, my default mode is still this self-help Gnosticism and Stoicism disguised as Christianity. Like, I'm going to do this. It's about trying, not relying. And I fear that so many of us, myself firstly and foremostly, are trying to live out our Christian lives in our own strength, by our own effort and merit. And it's no wonder that I and maybe you are always on the brink of spiritual exhaustion. And so my prayer is that we would leave here today simply and profoundly strengthened by grace. And I loved Mark's exhortation, exhortation of strengthened by future grace even, the grace that hasn't even been poured out but yet has been from eternity past for the future. Hallelujah. Because if we leave here today in our own strength, trying to do what Paul is, 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 is exhorting Timothy to do, to live out the Christian life, enduring and discipling in our own strength, you guys, we're going to burn out. We're going to straight burn out. But if we leave here today having been washed in the strength of Christ, well, then the gates of hell won't even be able to stop us. And so, as your bulletin reflects, the title of this sermon with an incredibly long intro is Strengthened by Grace. And we're going to consider for the remainder of our short time two embarrassingly practical steps that Paul offers. I don't like that word steps, but that's all my vocabulary could handle. Two embarrassingly practical steps that Paul offers on our road to being strengthened by grace in Christ Jesus. Here are my two embarrassingly simple and practical points. Number one, stop being so distracted. (laughs) How's that for pragmatic? Number two, refocus on Jesus and his gospel. It's honestly quite embarrassing that I couldn't come up with anything more than that, but I believe it's reflecting of what Paul gets into here. Let's look at number one. Stop being so distracted 
on your road to being strengthened by God's grace in order for Timothy to continue doing this work. He's going to need the strength of Christ. And in verses 4 through 7, Paul uses three analogies to explain to Timothy how he might, in fact, put on this strength. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, and it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now, in the first analogy, Timothy, who is likened to a good soldier of Christ Jesus, in this analogy, Timothy should avoid getting entangled in civilian pursuits. Civilian pursuits being inconsequential things. They're simply lesser, they're things of lesser importance. They may be good, they may in fact be bad, but either way, they are not ultimately these things, these pursuits, they are not ultimately propelling Timothy for his mission. And therefore, they are really serving to tie him up and to distract him from what really matters, and to keep him, in fact, from carrying out his God-given task in God-given strength. I, I think immediately about the smartphone that I carry around and that many of us carry around. There are some rogue vigilantes holding out to the dumb phone, and I actually applaud you. According to research firm D-Scout, the average American touches his or her smartphone an average of 3,000 times per day with an average daily use of over four hours. I think about the TVs, the huge, curved, beautiful TVs that most of us have hanging in our living room. According to the Nielsen Group, the average American watches roughly 35 hours of television per week. 35 hours. It doesn't, it, it, it seems that Satan doesn't need pornography or materialism to render Christians powerless and effective because amoral civilian pursuits seem to be doing the job just fine. What Paul is conveying in this first analogy of the soldier to Timothy and to us is that the first step in being strengthened by Jesus for the mission of Jesus is to flee the distractions that are keeping us from Jesus. If we were all to take an inventory, an honest inventory right now this morning of the hours that we've been given each day, how are we really spending that precious and irreplaceable time? Are we modeling for our Timothys a Christian life that is utterly distracted with civilian pursuits? Pursuits that hold zero value for tomorrow, let alone eternity. So many of us 
again, myself foremostly, are spiritually exhausted with barely any strength to invest in others or to endure any difficulty whatsoever because all of my focus and energy and time seems to go to trivial things that will be the first to burn when Christ returns. I am, and maybe you are, spiritually malnourished. So questions, uh, is this morning, is your flame burning low? Are you mentally and physically and spiritually exhausted? There are a lot of variables that come into this. I'm not trying to demean or degrade life and the strenuousness of life. But if we're not hungry for the word and if we're not thirsty for the spirit and, and Christ's righteousness, maybe what we could do this morning is take inventory of what we are feeding ourselves every day. Maybe. What are we giving ourselves to? And an easy way to define a, a civilian pursuit is to ask, is what I'm doing right now helping me to treasure Christ? Is it helping me to run toward Christ? Is it helping me to focus on Christ so that I become like Christ? Because if it's not, at the end of the day, it is a hindrance. It's a weight. And the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 tells us exactly what we are to do with weights. We are to lay them aside. We are to throw them off, throw everything off that hinders, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And then let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Time is of the essence. We don't have tons of it. I have friends that, that are dear to me. I want to ask them, is traveling baseball keeping you and your family from running the race together? Friends that are gone six and seven nights a week, they can't, for whole seasons of the year, they cannot even be in fellowship with believers, much less have time to, to nurture their own relationship with the Lord because the priority has become man, my kid's just really good at baseball and we need this scholarship. I get, I get how it's easy to prioritize these things, but let's be honest, that is a weight. At the end of the day, if your kid can hit a home run but does not see his dad seeking and savoring the face of Christ, we have an issue. What about work demands? Work is a good thing. We should work. It is biblical to work. But some of us take a good thing and make, it an, and make it an ultimate thing. It becomes an idol. Straight up. Hobbies. Perfectly clean houses. Perfectly landscaped yards. Good things can become civilian pursuits really quick when we make them ultimate. The first step in untangling ourselves from lesser pursuits is praying, I think, probably one of the best prayers of Scripture you could possibly pray. It is a prayer that God can't not answer. I used a double negative right there. Pray this prayer, Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. 
Try me and know my thoughts. Reveal any grievous way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, God, look into the depths of my being and examine every part of my life. Do you give him permission to do that? And show me my distractions. Show me my idols. Show me the things that are keeping me from you and your beauty and your peace and your strength and reveal every one of them to me so that I may leave it behind in pursuit of more of you. In verses five through seven, Paul continues with two other analogies, one of a rule-keeping athlete and one of a diligent farmer. And together, along with the first analogy of the soldier, Paul is conveying an idea that maintaining focus, maintaining a disciplined focus on Christ is often hard work. But it is worthy and necessary work And the reward is the very power and presence and crown and glory of God. The same power, in fact, that raised Christ from the dead is is, is a reward for disciplined, undistracted pursuit of the king. And this now serves as Paul's logical transition into verse 8, this power that raised Christ from the dead, this strength of Christ. We, we don't find it by merely untangling ourselves from lesser pursuits, but by engaging the greatest pursuit. Refocus on Jesus in his gospel. Point number two, Paul writes, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. I am positive Timothy knew this gospel and this Jesus pretty well, but it goes to say in the present imperative, continually remember it, Timothy. Continually remember Jesus Christ, Substance Church. Because somehow in all of the mysterious workings of heaven, everything you and I need in order to be saved, sustained, and strengthened for the Christian life is found right here. Somehow, in all of the mysterious workings of heaven, God sees it fit to start and complete our entire journey in him, in Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. This is why week after week here at Substance Church, on Sunday mornings and Wednesday and Thursday CG nights, you'll never stop hearing the words, Remember Jesus Christ. And God, I will pray this right now. If Substance Church ever stops saying, remember Jesus Christ, close us down. Paul writes it in the present imperative, continually remember him. Remember Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the promised Savior who was foretold in the Garden of Eden after the disobedience of mankind separated us from our good and holy creator God. Remember this Jesus Christ who became flesh, who became a human, born of a woman, born in the kingly line of David as prophecy foretold. This Jesus who dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us. Remember this Jesus Christ 
who announced the coming of his kingdom, that he would make all things new again, that death and disease and destruction would be forever vanquished, and he would do this by becoming the very sin that separated us from him. Remember this Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a humble servant, who never once sinned, although he was tempted to sin in every way that we are, and yet who willingly laid down his perfect life as the payment for yours and my rebellion, as a substitute for sinners like you and I. Paul's saying, remember this Christ who rose from the dead. No one rises from the dead. This Jesus Christ did. This Jesus Christ did. Death could not hold the author of life. Remember this Jesus Christ who sent the Holy Spirit to bear witness about these things to us, to regenerate our dead hearts and to give us faith to believe the truth of this good news that we who were once separated from God have been brought near by the blood of God, God the Son. Remember this Jesus Christ who lovingly and patiently waits in heaven right now for all of his people to hear this good news and to turn from their sin and to trust that he accomplished everything that was needed to secure our forgiveness and adoption as sons and daughters of God. Church, remember Jesus Christ who promises to give us help in a time of need. And for maybe all of us, that time of need is right now. He promises he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He promises to give us his strength, the strength that raised him from the dead so that we can complete the task of passing the torch of the gospel to others and enduring this light and momentary affliction in comparison to the glory that is to be revealed. Do you really believe this good news? Do you believe that everything you need to endure today and whatever sufferings may come whatever you need to live the Christian life of disciple-making that you've been called to in your context, just as Paul is enduring for the sake of the elect in verses 9 and 10, do you believe that everything you need for your task today, which is all we're accountable for, is given to you by remembering Jesus Christ? By remembering Jesus Christ, we are supernaturally strengthened by His grace. I don't know how it works. God does it, and it's brilliant. So I wonder, will we remember him this afternoon, should the Lord give us this afternoon? Will we remember him tonight before bed, should the Lord give us tonight? Will we remember him tomorrow, should the Lord give us tomorrow, bright and early, before we begin our day, disciplined, up, refocusing, 
fleeing from distraction. Man, my first thing that I want to do when I get out of bed is just hold my phone and, and read everything on it. Paul closes this passage with a four-stanza poem that might have actually served as a creed to the early church. In verse 11, he says that it is a trustworthy saying. Here we go. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Now, now hold your finger right there. Notice that the first three stanzas are equitable, meaning they yield predictable responses from God. If we do this, if we endure, he will, we will reign with him. If we deny him, well, it makes sense that he would deny us. These stanzas can fit quite nicely into this mold of karma-like Christianity that many Christians espouse. If we do this, well, then this is the natural outcome. But the fourth stanza, let this wreck your head for a minute, is followed by a most unpredictable response from God, one that is gloriously inequitable, that if we are faithless, which that describes every single one of us in this room, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If you're here and you find yourself entangled in lesser pursuits, like me, waning in spiritual strength, remember Jesus Christ and his inequitably glorious good news that even though he lived a perfectly faithful life to God the Father, he bore the punishment for yours and my unfaithfulness on the cross. And now, in his resurrected posi position at the right hand of the Father, by faith in Christ, he now accredits us he accredits you and I with his perfect faithfulness. So when the Father looks down at us right now, those who are in Christ, he sees the faithfulness of Jesus, and he cannot, he will not deny that. And namely, his Holy Spirit, the, th the third member of the Godhead, indwells those who by faith respond to the good news of Jesus. He cannot deny the Holy Spirit within us who will never leave us, who is sealing us for that day. <laughs> God wants to strengthen us by his grace for the work of ministry and endurance today. And we get, we get to flee from distraction and untangle ourselves joyfully from the pursuits of civilian life and even in our unfaithfulness to do so, which I bring loads of that unfaithfulness in with me today, he remains faithful. Glory, glory, hallelujah. And so let this amazing grace strengthen you today and tomorrow, should the Lord give it, and the next day and the next day until he returns. Let's pray. Yes, 
to grace, Lord. We would have never invented it. We could have never made this up that the God whom we rebelled against came down to save us from that rebellion by spilling his own blood. No one makes up this good news. And I thank you that in my unfaithfulness, you have and will continue to remain faithful to me and to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let this strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen.